Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Random Trek, a podcast where we watch a random episode of Star Trek, and then we ham-fistedly talk about it. As always, I'm your captain, David. I'm Sam, and assassins, murderers, murderers, assassins. And we are joined this week by a very special guest, uh, Joseph Tiberius Kirk. Hello. Uh, we've mentioned our friend Joe before, who is, is somewhat of a Star Trek novice, but somehow has become the, the resident authority on the original series. Probably because I'm the one who's watched it most recently. Uh, that's probably the main reason. Not just most recently. And we are all ageing rapidly and can't remember things, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not just most recently, but most most intensely as well. Like I think you, yeah. you, you. Mm. So you were new to Star Trek entirely, and not did you? You didn't go for the easy one. You didn't go straight to TNG or some of the later stuff. You went back to the hard stuff. You know. Despite my, I, I I went completely against both of you guys' advice. Yeah, you, know, you both gave me a different one to start with, uh, and I just decided to go completely opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to be fair, I, I don't regret it because I think if I'd gone to either TNG or Voyager first, I don't think I'd have been able to get back and go back and watch uh, the the OS. Whereas obviously now, um, watching it first, it's kind of you know I've, I've seen it, so I had to get something out of lockdown him, anyway. Look at him using the abbreviations, Sam. It's adorable. <laughs> um, so <laughs> moving on, and lazy this week, and lazy this week. Uh, we watched episode 28 of season 1 of Star Trek, the original series, uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, and this is a this is a, a a classic Star Trek episode. And in this episode, if you haven't watched it, um, we, we basically start off with uh, Captain uh, Dr. McCoy going insane when he accidentally injects himself with some kind of serum. And then he... We've all been there. Yeah, he accidentally then changes history <laughs> and de- and destroys um, all kind of trace of his his timeline. So naturally, Kirk and Spock have to follow him back to the past to prevent the disaster. Um, and they have to use a car to go 88 miles an hour to do so. Oh, no, that's the wrong film. That's the wrong film. Um, so <laughs> we, get a, we get a good uh, Star Trek back in time romp, which is... This was, I think, the first or maybe the second instance of kind of time travel, but certainly like the first one where they're going around wearing the period costume and all that stuff. It's certainly, yeah. It's it's funny, really, because I, I think I said the other day, this is the kind of episode of Star Trek that nobody watches Star Trek to watch these episodes, but they quite frequently appear in like lists of people's favourite episodes or the highest rated episodes ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we joke quite a lot especially in the more modern Star Treks that when they have an episode where they go back to World War 2 it's because um, production has just finished net on the next door lot of a World War 2 <laughs> film and they can have all the props and the costumes for free Yeah, like it just seems like a really cheap and especially this episode seems like a really like right so we only really need like the three uniforms Yeah, great and everyone <laughs> else can just wear like well, wonderful. Let's just do Rick that. Rick Berman, we've got, they, they we've barely got need, 40 Nazi costumes. They, Go. <laughs> they barely need all the cast as well. You know, it's mainly Kirk, Spock, and uh, Bones. The rest of them are barely in I'll it, have so. you know, O'Hara has one line, Joe. 
One line where she says, Captain, I'm scared. <laughs> and looks yeah. petrified. So, Joe, can you give us, before we get into the episode, can you give us just a little bit more on your Star Trek journey? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of guess Star Trek something I've always been kind of aware of, but never actually watched. So when I decided I wanted to start Star watching Trek it, curious, eh, Joe? Yes, exactly. Uh, oh, so you guys constantly talk about Star Trek, so... Um, <laughs> kind of felt like the odd one out for the past 11 years um <laughs> so when i decided to start watching obviously i asked you guys which one was the best series and you both gave me a different one to start with i think dave you suggested tng uh, i think sam the said correct Voyager. response yeah um but then i kind of decided to ignore both of you mainly because you couldn't agree so i just decided to go the kind of way that online suggested and uh, os was the way it started uh, and obviously you know i know shatner and some of the actors from other things and leonard nimoy and things have been in quite a bit so i decided to start with that one um yeah and as i say i'm kind of glad that i did because i don't think i'd be able to go back to the original series if i started with um, TNG. I think I'd have struggled to then go back to the original series, maybe because of the obviously not necessarily because it's bad um, TV, but because of when it was filmed. I think because it's from obviously the 60s. It's, um, I mean, it's nowhere near as bad as the animated series, but that's a whole new kind of depth to. to which plumb. I will add, you've also um, all, you've, you've you have watched that as well. So you, I have. You're a madman, Joe. Yes. You're an absolute madman. <laughs> um, yeah, I am also the guy who carried on watching Heroes past season one. So there you go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you like to commit and that's good yeah, I, I respect you know. that before we moved on from like your experience watching this I wanted to ask if if you found that watching the original series that you'd already kind of experienced a lot of these plots and themes in like cultural osmosis <laughs> do you know what I mean like yes. Futurama being the big example of like somewhere where you've just seen quite oh, a lot yeah. of this and because um, for me very much so whenever I watch original series I'm like I'm like just it more reminds me of the constant references to it. It's kind of like a Citizen Kane I mean, type thing, you know. I, I mean, Zap Vanagon is Kirk. That's you know, <laughs> even down to the way he speaks. It's it's, like it's really, the perfect really parody, isn't it? It really is. It is sublime. Um, really, yeah. really good. It's like it's like if you watched, um, or as I did as a kid, watching The Simpsons, and then after watching The Simpsons, I went through when I was about fifteen and watched like all of the movies that are ever that had ever been made and, and I'm all, all of a sudden going huh I get that reference <laughs> like oh yeah that's that, that that's that joke from that thing and there's all these and I think that's I think Star Trek's right up there with one of those just cultural landmarks that that has been so done to death mm-hmm. um that it's actually as you say this is in Kane effect where if you go back and watch it as in Kane you don't really find it that remarkable because you weren't there when this was new. And that's definitely true of original series Star Trek, is that this was treading new ground. You know, like, obviously, yeah. even things like the first interracial kiss on TV and all that stuff, you know, there's it, it's doing something very new. And and it's easy to dismiss it as, like, a bit trite and a bit try-hard. But this was this was new stuff back when it, when it first it came out. It was wildly popular as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to... So yeah. them on that. I mean, this, this episode, for instance, aired two years before we landed on the moon, <laughs> <laughs> which is nuts. Yeah, it's, which it's is insane. Nuts. Uh, I incidentally, um, I was uh, I came across uh, my gran, who's eighty-seven years old, uh, has a box full of um, Star Trek: The Original Series videos, VHS tapes, <laughs> um, and apparently she's quite Brilliant. a massive fan of the original series. Nice. Yeah. 
So this episode then, just to go through some of the plot and, and maybe just to take us through, we can we can d- delve into the individual scenes. Um, so we, we're on the Enterprise, obviously, and Sulu gets injured by something, um, I think a time distortion or something like that. And so McCoy goes and, and um, helps him out. And quite comically, but but <laughs> but it's quite important to the episode, the, he then manages to inject himself in the stomach and push down the the plunger, presumably, or the you know press the button of um, I think it's cordrazine. Yeah, which something is like that. Fake. It's a fake drug that Star Trek invented, which is highly dangerous. And and then we get some proper good uh, DeForest Kelly acting, shouting <laughs> like just screaming at the camera. It's absolutely insane, and he flees from the bridge somehow manages to transform his, transport himself down to a planet which is nearby <laughs> and then from there we see the kind of the, the 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 rest of the episode but i just think i just think it's such a it's such a complicated way to get him on the planet <laughs> we'll get into it more but like from a plot point of view it's so pointless the whole mccoy <laughs> plot is pointless because like i said he, he beams himself down to the planet and then so that then forces the rest of the crew to go down to find him. And they find this, um, for lack of a better word, time gate. This Time travelling donut. This, this, yeah, this don't time travelling donut. This benevolent giant donut <laughs> that is a portal through time. <laughs> and and the the only reason you have this, because surely the captain and crew of the Enterprise would have investigated this thing regardless, because who wouldn't want to investigate a giant time donut? But McCoy beams himself <laughs> down there. They chase him, and then McCoy throws himself into the portal and ends up back in time. And and it all seems so meaningless because then McCoy's out of the episode until the conclusion. <laughs> and <laughs> you could have been served by McCoy tripping on a rock. That could have like been a much, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they needed time in the episode. Maybe they needed like that extra f- six minutes of runtime to get us get us there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it could have, the whole episode could have started like on the planet itself. You know, they're just investigating it. Like the the, the whole thing's just a like bit like every kinda, other episode of Star Trek. Pointless. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, every episode it kicks them into exploring a planet. There's no reason it couldn't have started like that at all. Yeah, there seems an easier way for for McCoy to go through the time warp. You know, there's, there's maybe, but it is like I said, I do enjoy DeForest Kelly, and I, I was just wondering Joe, how much work McCoy gets because he. I know in some of the other series, the Doctor is kind of sidelined a bit, and you know they they drag him out for particular mm-hmm. episodes, but they're not like on the on the ridge necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, he is used quite a bit actually. You know, like the the, the main ones are him, um, Spock, and Kirk. Obviously, Spock and Kirk are the two big ones, but probably McCoy. Certainly, I mean, I'm only on um, TNG at the moment, but certainly more than um, Beverly gets used. Beverly Crusher gets used in TNG. He's certainly more central to kind of the plots and things like that. I think that's what I recall as well is is DeForest Kelly kind of being like the third lead of this show. So maybe from yeah. a production point of view, this this um, um, Bones subplot is is so that McCoy has something to do because he's because he's quote unquote third build, and therefore you mm-hmm. can't just have you can't just have him say one line like a hurrah, or just look at the camera yeah. like Sulu does in this episode, and then you know all right lads go home. <laughs> because you're, he's your third lead, so to speak. So, and he's a fan favorite yeah. as well. So maybe you want him to be on the forefront and 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 give this, you know, I suppose to give this actor something to do. 
Yeah, so he's, from... he's very much the third sort of one behind Kirk and Spock, and then you've obviously you've got Scotty as well, but he's kind of like the fourth. He gets even less than. than oh yeah, I forgot um, Scotty was in this episode. <laughs> barely, to be fair. Really, truly barely. So from here, we we were informed by the donut that um, <laughs> that McCoy has gone into the past, and not only gone into the past, he's completely changed the past to the point where the Enterprise. And effectively, I mean, we don't even know, is it all of civilization? We have no idea. But the they don't know, but gone. basically, like, they conclude that something was done in the past to stop humans developing space travel. Yeah. Well, but, that, the, the, but, but my question on, on that one would be, um, you know, then if, if it completely altered time, would Kirk, Spock, uh, her and the likes, would they not, not be well, on that planet Joe, anymore? I mean, there's because... an important point here. Obviously, it's... Um, <laughs> It's operating by Star Trek time travel rules rather than Back to Future time travel rules. Um, actual time travel rules. Got you. Star Trek time travel rules are very much whatever the situation calls for. Other rules? <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, there's, there's a, there's a time displacement field placed around the donut, uh, and that's what causes everything else to be affected, but not them. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a very well known scientific fact that that donut. is absolutely yeah. how time travel works. Nods in a confused fashion. Yes. <laughs> so, so this this donut thing, um, and then and then I and then I we get a moment where they're trying to figure out what to do. So do they head back, and we see the donut effectively playing on like a loop, all mm-hmm. of human history, um, and they wait for it to swing back round to the bit <laughs> that they recognise as it's like oh look Nazis shit there it is go, um, <laughs> and so they they they're on this time loop waiting for the. Thing. And then they manage to jump in to uh, this is Spock and, and I think the, the donut. I think the jump. donut helps them. I think the donut's like, oh, I'll send you back. It might be, it should be within a month of the of it's the. A, of, it's a benevolent. The donut. benevolent donut says, "Listen, bro, um, yeah. <laughs> I'll send you guys back to sort this because question mark." Um, and he and he says, "Oh, it should be within a month or so <laughs> of of when he arrives. You should get there a month or so before he gets there." And then, by the way. Goodbye, Sulu. Goodbye, Ahura. Goodbye, Scotty. Goodbye, Benevolent Donut. <laughs> and goodbye, about half a dozen red shirts. None of whom are killed. Which is odd. I mean, if you have a red shirt in the OS, I mean, mm. you can count on the seconds how long you're going to last. Yeah. So now back in time, and their job is to repair the timeline, find McCoy, or, or, or I think he's he's not actually arrived yet, is he? Because they, they arrived before McCoy's. Yeah, they're, they're a yeah, week early. Their job, their job is to post early, up yeah. and wait for McCoy to arrive so they can grab him. <laughs> And stop him damaging the timeline, and we should note we but, should but, note they go back to 1930 America. But they aren't actually sure how far in advance of McCoy they are. They know he's coming, but then I don't think they. Yeah, know like when. I said, they, they think they're within so. a month, so they know they've got you know at least a few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, and they're in they're in New York, and it's the Great Depression. So that's the kind of that's the kind of um, uh, a, a backdrop that we're faced with and it's quite a funny like is it obviously it's a set and it's quite a weird set it's very clean <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. it's the cleanest new york i've ever seen um <laughs> and and there's like it's just it's obviously i think there's a it's used in various different places this set it, it's um, used in other episodes of of the os there's other episodes of the os with the exact same alleyway that they land yeah. in um yeah brilliant because it's because it's the sixties and it's sets yeah. are expensive, man. You know, come on. Also, the TV's like four inches square and black and white. <laughs> so honestly, like, yeah. it's fine. Who's gonna know? Yeah, who's yeah. complaining? Oh no, 
uh, Shatner isn't here. It's all right. We'll just bring this guy in and put him in a in a in a gold um, outfit. It'll be fine. No one knows. <laughs> so from here we meet Edith Keeler, who's played by Joan Collins. Now, when I first watched this, I spent the whole time going, "Who is that woman? I recognise her." <laughs> and and then not for like not until the end of the episode where I was kind of looking on IMDb to go, "Holy shit, that's Joan Collins!" <laughs> because she just looks so incredibly young. Um, you know, just and that's not necessarily how I remember what Joan Collins looks like. Um, yeah. And and Edith, Ke- Edith Keeler, she runs the Twenty First Street Mission and is kind of is is kind of an interesting character. Um, interesting, she's is the word. she's yeah, she's kind of otherworldly, isn't she? And she's she's she kind of instantly looks after um, or, or tries to help Spock and Kirk, even though she doesn't really know what's going on. But she's also She's also giving out speeches about how people will walk on the moon one day and how atoms and, you know, she's very prophetic in a way that I did. the episode she's, she's doesn't very, really explain. Sorry, I was just going to say, she's very accepting when she first meets Spock and Kirk as well because they effectively break in to her basement um, and she walks in on them and asks them what they're doing and he admits that they're running away from the police um, <laughs> and she's very accepting. She just kind of stands there and goes, oh, would you like a job? Um <laughs> In that good religious tradition of just completely yeah. looking past anyone's moral failings and helping them um, unconditionally, mm-hmm. uh, and so we really get this 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 interaction between the three, and of course Kirk has um, a love interest in Keela, and they yeah, he walks into the room and he goes, yep. "Say that's a woman I haven't yet had her." <laughs> hmm. Contract, contractually obliged woman from every episode, yes. yes. Poor Joan Collins. That is the way Shatner works. <laughs> so Shatner, Shatner and, and, and Joan Collins, they kind of gradually fall in love. And while this is happening, um, they're obviously they're, they're trying to work to get to get some money. And and Spock is building some like uh, valve run time machine or, or time video <laughs> radio thing. computer thing thing. Yes, yeah. it's very unclear how he manages to do this with no knowledge, presumably of of nineteen thirties. Um, Earth electronics. He needs platinum. He asked for some platinum at some point. Um, yes, so pl- platinum included. Yes, which is which I think is you know quite a difficult. I thing think to this get. is fine. This is like really in that Star Trek. Um, there are tons of episodes of the TNG. One specifically when Data goes back in time, um, and and he mm. he does a similar thing where he sits up in a hotel room, um, building like mad like futuristic devices out of steam technology to try and you know figure things yeah. out and 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 it's really like and it obviously it comes from from episodes like this where it's established that you know these characters these these future starfleet officers are, are incredibly clever and they, they have all this knowledge so there's a certain amount they can still do with past technology mm-hmm. and, and the thing is as well like you remember when this was filmed you know there'll be people from the 30s who had a really good memory of the 1930, obviously now you know it's not necessarily the case watching the episode now, but back then people from the 30s will kind of remember that period yeah, as no, well. So, right, which is mad to think about, like the Great Depression yeah. being in your yeah. living memory, and, yeah. and you would have been, you know, if you were 20, you would you would have had a very very vivid memory of that, and mm-hmm. um, obviously lots of kids would have would have mem- uh, could have remembered that as well. So yeah, it's it's quite. Um, it's quite interesting. There's a funny line in this I like from from Kirk and and Spock says, "I, I need platinum. I, we can't do it. You know, I need some platinum to do this." 
And he says, uh, Mr. Spock, I brought you some assorted vegetables, bologna, a hard roll for myself, and I spent the other nine-tenths of our combined salaries for the last three days on filling this order for you, Mr. Spock. This this bag does not contain platinum, silver, or gold, nor is it likely to in the, in the near future. <laughs> I just think, I love the sass from Kirk. Like, yeah. I've been working all day, and you don't appreciate me at all. I brought you... <laughs> I brought you bologna and vegetables. It's a great, it's what a great back want? and forth, and it's kind of like a, um, you know, it's one of the things that the original series is gets really right is is kind of like the relationship between Spock and Kirk, and that kind of like mm-hmm. they are a bit like an old married couple, but in that lovely sort of like mm-hmm. lovely sort of way. And once you add bones in there as well, they all have this like wonderful back and forth, and and mm-hmm. and it kind of just carries you through quite a lot, I think. And it, it, it kind of, it basically sets the thing, for, and I know it completely separate, but for Voyage Home, basically, it's what Voyage Home gets perfect. It's that relationship between Spock and Kirk in Voyage yeah. Home is like, it's basically the entire film. Uh, and it's, you can kind of see bits of that in this episode. That's a good that's a good one to to mention because obviously this has a very similar plot to Voyage Home. Mm-hmm. Not, in a, not in, a, in a way that's bad, but just in a, let's go back and, and let's let's have Spock be out of, out of time. In this, they, they say that he's Chinese. <laughs> That's the cover. <laughs> it's it's pretty I racist. Love, I yeah. love this. Wow. So it's not that. Someone <laughs> stops him and says, "What's wrong with your ears?" And he goes, "And he goes, what are you?" And he goes, "What are you Chinese or something?" And he goes, "Oh yes, um, it was an agricultural accident. I got my head caught in a what is it? A rice picker, a mechanical, mechanical rice, rice picker." picker. And yeah. the guy's like, "Oh, yep, yep, all yep. right. Well, that checks out. Yeah, yeah. That's... Fair enough." <laughs> No questions here. <laughs> that enforces my that reinforces my prejudices. Move yeah. on. <laughs> I've never seen anyone from China before, so I can't question that. In New York. <laughs> in the thirties. Yeah. I've know. never seen an Asian person. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So 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 how, how how this episode kind of concludes is that we learn that Keeler, the eighties Keeler played by Joan Collins, is actually like some She's like this, the, the the cornerstone of 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 the time space continuum, effectively, <laughs> and that um, Spurt, Spock Spock realizes through his magical time computer that Keeler dies in that year that they're in in the traffic accident, and so obviously then we're faced with or, or Kirk is faced with this horrible realization that his new you know wife. Because that's how he, that's how intense he seems to be over this. He's about he says, "I'm in love with this woman." Yeah, which is actually yeah. a little bit odd because, like, obviously, every single episode, Kirk has a different woman. You know, it's contractually obliged almost. Um, you know, he that's gets to Kirk everybody. Um, but um, this episode, he actually seems to develop an actual relationship, and I can't think of many other episodes of original series where that happens. So they mm. really build up that whole relationship thing. You know, like in the space of a week, he goes from not knowing this woman to like basically being married to her um, yeah and, and there's there's a good reason for that which will come to you just as we before we conclude the plot after we conclude the plot and um so so keela's got keela's is obviously important and she needs to die basically um <laughs> and the reason for that is kind of funny and kind of um very much of its time is that predictable yeah she, she would eventually according to spock become a founder of of a of, of the pacifist movement on the eve of World War Two. So we're in nineteen thirties now, we're in the mid thirties or whatever. Um and obviously Hitler's not long far away. World War Two starts and we see a newspaper headline of Keeler effectively convincing the president not to go to war. And that causes um in the timeline Nazi Germany to develop nuclear weapons before 
the um uh, the, the Americans new, yeah the Americans do and then launch these nukes on their V2 rockets and destroy the world <laughs> obviously now and it's quite funny that in modern Star Trek you'd be having Keeler as like the pacifist and she'd be right she'd be the one she'd be the the kind of good guy in terms of mm-hmm. saying let's not bomb each other in this they're very much like no 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 this woman is absolutely <laughs> insane we need to well, bomb we the are at the height of the Germans. cold war the space race is literally yeah. happening as this episode has been made you know yeah we're yeah. racing americans no, are racing it, it, the soviets to go be the first to land on the moon a feat which wouldn't be accomplished for think- another two years can I just say, like, the headline of the paper, I'm pretty sure, is something along the lines of, like, she, they refer to her as Slum Queen or something like that. Yeah. She's like the, the Slum Queen because um, <laughs> of her work with all of, like, in the missionary and things. It's just a bit kind of like, well, okay. So so this Slum Queen, who's come from nothing, has somehow managed to, like, convince the president not to go to war with Nazi Germany. I mean, she's pretty, okay. but I don't know if she's convincing the president not to go to war with Nazi Germany pretty. <laughs> yeah, he'd have to be pretty good. And so, in the final, the final kind of um, the final part of this is that Kirk is is off to um, see a movie with with Keela, and 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 we we see the moment where um, McCoy comes oh, back. Yeah. They see McCoy. everyone remember McCoy's in this episode. Oh yeah, he's in this. McCoy. Keela had actually found McCoy and and brought him in, and then managed to cure his um, his ailment, his deadly infection. Yes, because just to go back, just briefly, um, before they go back in time, um, Kirk and Spock briefly consider using this incredibly unknown time portal to go back in time by a day, because apparently what um, McCoy has done to himself is so serious that they would risk that because otherwise he can't be healed. And this woman in 1930 <laughs> feeds him some soup and pats his hand, and he's fine. Yeah. Not before some unfortunate street urchin manages to uh, to, to steal um, to steal his phaser and kill yeah. himself, um, could I just add. Um, oh, yeah, Christ, <laughs> I forgot about that. That's, yeah, <laughs> and just when the, the, the last scene as well, it did just sort of thing, you know, they're talking about, and by the way, how many times is this an Edith Keeler must die? How many, how many times is that mentioned? They, they use just kind this of, woman's you know, full name thinking, quite a lot, aren't they? Yeah, and it's you just kind of think, thing, is, isn't isn't that a film? But obviously, that's John Tucker must die. But anyway, maybe that's where they got it from. Um, <laughs> but like, if if you see like throughout the throughout the episode, there's kind of like these bits where there's almost an accident, like leading up to where she actually does mm. die. So like, there's this, the scene where she almost falls down the stairs, uh, and Kirk saves her. And then as they're coming out of the missionary to go to the cinema, they almost get run over. Then, when Spock and Kirk first arrive, they almost get hit by a car when they first get back in time as well. And then as he's crossing back over the road to find McCoy, Kirk also nearly gets run over. So like, it's just like constantly they clearly just don't look where they're going at any point. Um, well, I think there's two two things at play here, Joe. It's it's 1930, I think, and cars, <laughs> you know, pretty new, really. <laughs> like. I'm sure lots of cars yeah. on the streets is a pretty pretty new thing. And also, Kirk and Spock aren't really used to cars because they have spaceships. For, for the opposite reason, yeah. They're from years into the future, yeah. So Keeler gets knocked over by a truck. and, and Keeler doesn't know a green cross code, that's why. She doesn't at all. Slowest traffic accident ever. She, she, she in the moments before, um, all the, 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 the crew are reunited... McCoy kind of sees what's coming and, and, and so does everyone else, but McCoy tries to run out and save Keeler 
and Kirk stops him because Kirk makes the difficult, heartbreaking decision that um, that she must die because that's what history needs. And um, and there's a lovely moment at, at the end of this where and and McCoy says, "Damn it, Jim!" <laughs> I'm not sure he says that, but "Damn it, Jim!" Do you know what you've done? And and Spock, you know, very 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 solemnly says, "He knows, Doctor. He knows." Because he's he's saved history and he's managed to restore the timeline correctly. Millions haven't died and the Enterprise is back, but he's had to do so at the expense of his um, weak old love. But that's okay. Let's let's not let's not um, stress that too much. Now we're at the end of the episode. They go back and he says, "Let's get the hell out of here," which is the first use of the word "hell" as an expletive on TV. Wow, which is quite interesting. Yeah, in nineteen mm-hmm. whatever this was. 67. 67 somewhere there. 67. I said it. I was close. I'll times, take it. Whatever. It's fine. So, so this this episode was written originally by Harlan Ellison, who was uh, quite a quite a well known sci fi writer. And I want to just go back to that last moment because in our start in the episode that we see written uh, see on screen, Kirk is the one who says, "I'm not. I'm going to make the decision that she has to die." Like he he's the one who has the agency and. He he he's very much aware of his responsibility as captain. In the written in the written script in in the first draft that that Ellison wrote, um, Kirk actually says, "Fuck it, I don't give a shit about history. I don't give a shit about the millions who are going to die. I'll go and back to the Enterprise. I'm going to, I'm not going to let this woman die because I love her so much." And that is the point of the episode, is that. Is that he the weakness really of 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 love and 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 how that can make you do things that are even though it's the rational thing to do is let her die you can't do it and this and this is what kind of led very very famously to a real breakdown between Harlan and Gene Roddenberry and the rest of the producers because they fundamentally changed the the meaning of his script and really really subverted it and I think originally Spock was going to be the one who basically held Kirk back and said no. You've got to do it, mm-hmm. and I just think that's really interesting. I think that's a that's a very very different ending, and it really fundamentally changes a lot of the character motivations. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably a bit more powerful than and it probably than makes a bit more sense to be honest. Yeah. Than yeah. So uh, and that that really represents some of the um, the tension that that Ellison and Ellison Harlan Hall Ellison, who is notoriously grumpy, it seems. Um, but he he was in he was very unhappy with this with this script and this episode eventually and how it was produced, um, he and there's been a long standing uh, feud between them and it's quite public. I think he even published the original script as he'd written it to try and kind of demonstrate what he was going for. But I just think there's a fascinating insight into what could have been a very very different episode, you know, mm-hmm. and, and could have really changed how you view Captain Kirk there there forward. I think so, and I think other episodes demonstrate that kind of like a frailty of Kirk. That you know he is quite a flawed person, um, and I think that's demonstrated a few times in the films as well. That he's quite you know, uh, quite quick to sort of jump to action without maybe thinking it through as much, and and he is maybe given a bit mm-hmm. more to letting his emotions, especially in contrast to Spock, to sort of letting his emotions uh, make a decision. And I think maybe that the original ending to this episode would have been more in keeping with the character of Captain Kirk than the actual ending of this, which I think is fine. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think the ending was almost a, a little bit of an anticlimax. It kind of seemed to build up to it, and then it just kind of it was just a bit of an anticlimax in the end. Really, it just kind of seemed to yeah, finish. Yeah, the original ending of, of Spock kind holding of Kirk it. back, I think, would have more emotional weight than Kirk holding McCoy yeah. back. And McCoy's only you yeah. know, trying to save this woman out of just you know common decency, really, rather than knowing her particularly well or anything like that. I think there's um. In terms of this episode, I think it's I think it is a good episode. Initially, when I watched it, I, I felt a bit, I felt like it was a bit hollow, which I think it is actually. I think there's it there's, is yeah, yeah. Go on, do it. It it is hollow, and and to be honest, I mean the, the reason that the, the, the I mean the, the episode itself, it's it's probably having watched the original series, probably the first episode I'd have seen that that like I'd actually say was a good episode. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know I watched all of the all three seasons, but it's the first episode that really stood out for me that like, you know, actually really quite enjoyed watching it. And, and obviously there's plot holes and, you know, it's not a great episode, but it's the first episode of, of a original series I actually watched and thought, yeah, I quite enjoyed watching that. Mm. Um, and I, I think so much of that comes down to the, like, this is the, this is the, the this is what Star Trek does really, really well. And I haven't watched original series in a, in a long time. And, going back and watching it this was like incredibly familiar as to someone who's watched a lot of other star <laughs> trek because it because it it basically i think you know some of the earlier episodes of of original series are pretty rough like it's pretty like <laughs> jesus we Christ. often level this and then they get some of the, a lot of them are quite boring yes. yes yeah yeah they are they're slow because it's the 60s as well and tv is very different but also mm-hmm. i think fundamentally that was you know, right? Roddenberry's vision of what Star Trek is was very, very rigid, and even, <laughs> even into the early episodes of TNG, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ! Like, okay, yep, yeah, we get the point. We get the point. Let's move on. And it never really does that until they, well, until he dies and they speed it up a little bit. To be honest, but <laughs> it's a bit mean. But I think this episode really gets to the fundamental, like the crux of Star Trek. This is what Star Trek's about. It's about individuals having to make big decisions like you know the, the 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 fabric of the universe level decisions and i think that it's 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 taking the the macro you know the big picture stuff and it's bringing it down at a human level and that is what star trek is absolutely brilliant at mm-hmm. you know you take in 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 tng for example data is a great example of where the the frailty of the human experience and the difficulty that we all face in in like how do we function as humans and how do we interact with people and how do we get on in life and all that stuff it crystallizes that down to one person who's a robot and we get to see we get to enjoy all the things and, and experience all the things that we struggle with but through him vicariously and this episode i think is like and maybe joe you can speak to a bit as a more general point about the original series but this episode seems to just kind of kick that off that taking mm-hmm. the macro making it micro i think that's really clever and why this episode held, is, is held up so so well yeah and i mean the, the other thing to kind of point out with um with the episode as well something that's quite interesting it's actually the most expensive episode in the first season uh i was reading something two hundred forty-five thousand three hundred sixteen dollars it cost uh, and it's only behind the, the the two pilots so original series is really confusing because there was a first pilot and then some of the cast changed and they redid and did another pilot so there's technically two pilots to the show um but the the only two episodes are actually more expensive than this episode to film in the entire series mm. um so you know they did kind of go all out with this episode. So you can kind of, I suppose, from that point of view, you should really see it as being. I would question where that money went. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because again, that plot because man. Because again, it, ten minutes in ten minutes into this episode, we are on one like one set <laughs> of New York. There's no more like expensive outfits. There's no more expensive shots. It's just basically four actors interacting. <laughs> I do. I do agree. Yeah, I, I think, don't know where it's gone, but I think my like as I the more as I the more I've thought about this, and I watched it yesterday, and and as I when I finished it, I was like, oh Jesus Christ, Star Trek, that is <laughs> that is original series right there. And I think maybe that when I'm not the the further I am from actually watching it, the more I enjoy it. If that makes sense, like the, <laughs> the idea of it. Yeah, and I think that's probably because it is a bit rough, and I think in on the cost of it, yeah, you can't really see where that went. I guess maybe that backlot's expensive. Uh, there's a lot of other extras. Shatner's, Shatner's bank account, probably. That, that maybe quite a lot of the money went on, um, on, on some you know various you know miscommunications, and and maybe just like it took a lot longer to film, and maybe that's where the cost came from. Um, like I was reading, mm-hmm. a, yeah, it was it was overshot, didn't it? Yeah, it, it was it lasted um, longer. The director had said uh, he wanted runes, as in R U N E S, on on the arch, the donut. And and the uh, and the production designers uh, thought he said ruins with an eye, and so I think they constructed like a whole set. And he turned up and was like, "What the fuck is this?" And they were like, "Oh, ruins!" And he's like, "Runes." <laughs> so That's so amazing. I think they had to tear it down and start it again. <laughs> so like maybe stuff like that. It's a damned expensive donor. Yeah, added added to added to the cost of this. Um, <laughs> I mean, Joan Collins won't be cheap either. Um, no, she's pretty like at the height of her sort of like you know powers here. She's really you know a popular act- actor, even even then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe there's some, something like that. But I think maybe yeah. I think just the filming overrun because this is quite a this is quite a character story, character piece, and you know you don't not every episode of Star Trek is a character piece. There are quite a lot of episodes, especially in this first season, that maybe rely a little bit a little more on. On action and, and so-called sort of special effects, and you know more of the sort of like space stuff, which is maybe mm-hmm. like actually in the grand scheme of things a bit cheaper to film because you'll probably get it in a couple of takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is probably like the first episode that kind of goes away from that sort of thing. Like most of the episodes, in the, certainly the first season, but to be honest, most episodes of the original series, it's like go to planet, <laughs> trouble ensues get back on ship and leave sort of thing you know this is the first one that really delves and kind of changes it which is possibly why it stands out a bit more as well because you know it is totally different from yeah and from we've said, the other we ones. said we said we said already but this is, is quite frequently regarded as as um one of the one of the best episodes of the original series and you know sometimes mm-hmm. you know one of the higher rated episodes of star trek generally um and i think certainly it's one of the most iconic episodes of the original series and certainly, it certainly mm-hmm. feels very familiar, even if even if you've maybe not not seen it before. You know, this this we talked before about how um, how heavily referenced original series has been in in pop culture in the last you know Christ fifty years, um, fifty three years since this episode was released. Brannigan's Law. Brannigan's Law. <laughs> <Brannigan's laughs> in in terms of the impact of this episode i think you're right it does it has it has it is probably the one that maybe accelerated star trek in a way that um it hadn't been done before you know and and it's it was it was also recognized in terms of awards as well i think it was it won a lot of awards and has become one of the favorites mm-hmm. there's a nice fact that um the in the the writers guild of america 
had a, had a yearly award where only the credited writer could submit a draft, a script. Um, and so Harlan Ellison submitted a script and it won um, the best <laughs> episodic drama on television. However, <laughs> um, he submitted the original unfilmed version that we've already mentioned, which had a different ending. And uh, and so the, the the episode that won, the, the script that won was not the script that we saw on TV. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is just stunning and there's lots of quotes people saying that he ellison um submitted it out of spite and that uh, roddenberry said quote many people will get prizes if they wrote scripts that budgeted out to three times the show's cost <laughs> which, I think is just, <laughs> which is just absolutely well, there was a lot wonderful. of getting the claws out like uh, a lot of controversy behind the scenes wasn't there? i'm not sure if we've mentioned it in depth yet between ellison and roddenberry uh, over, you know, mm-hmm. I think Ellison felt that this episode wasn't a true reflection of his original script, obviously, and also he felt that he was not adequately compensated. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, yeah, which seems I think to be he's been quoted as saying, like, yeah, it's great to have your name on something that's really popular, but you know what's also great? Money. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> and that seems to be the overriding thing, is that he felt he really deserved like a big slice of of the success of this episode, yeah. which he didn't get. And, you know, and I think there were, there were court battles and him and Roddenberry, it took them, you know, two decades, I think, to sort of reconcile, which is always interesting. Yeah. But even back to that awards night, um, I'm just reading here that when that when when Ellison won, and it was actually up against another episode of Star Trek, which is slightly awkward, the Star Trek team, the, the producers all rose to their feet and applauded, and that was, you know, that was to, to, to think that, to show that they were all united. Um and and then they were uh, they were elated, of course, and that turned to horror when Ellison began talking about the interference of the studio executives in the writing process. <laughs> before holding a copy of the original script and yelling, "Remember, never let them rewrite you," <laughs> <laughs> which is, I think, I think goes. It's worth it's worth googling um, uh, Howland Ellison a little bit and just really getting into him because he's he's a very interesting character, and I think this is. This is a, a not a not uncommon example of him um, <laughs> and, and his his kind of his attitude to, to certain things. So yeah, totally. So I think um, I'm I'm pretty much done. I think I, I this is a fun episode. Um, it's like we said, it's iconic. It's 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 good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my my yeah. crystallized thought actually would be that this is the sort of episode of Star Trek that that maybe wouldn't sell Star Trek to you, but it's probably one of the types of episodes you'd enjoy the most once you're watching it and enjoying it. Because mm. because there isn't a lot of the space and the science-ness that, that re- Star Trek really excels at in this. But for all of that, it's kind of mm-hmm. like a breath of fresh air from that. So it's kind of nice to have this as the occasional episode. And it's the same in TNG and, and the other series when you get the occasional episode like this. Where they're back in time and it's kind of that fish out of water and, and we're kind of just watching these characters and you know from that mindset and 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 it's kind of just like a, you know it's it it puts them in familiar surroundings you know surroundings you're more familiar with um, oh totally yeah so you can kind of relate a little bit easier. Have you got any final thoughts, Joe? Um, no, but uh, yeah, just just to kind of say yeah, it's probably the first like I say the first episode I watched that I really genuinely enjoyed of the original series and again some of the best ones are when they do go either back in time onto planets that are kind of based on sort of different periods and there's a very good episode where they go back and it's the chicago gangs of the 20s for example so 
Um, it's easy to kind of see watching it why it is one of the favourite kind of episodes, um, just because of you, you know it is quite memorable, does stand out. So um, yeah, can I just applaud your staying power because you are now at this point <laughs> twenty eight episodes into the original <laughs> series, and this is the point where you started to enjoy it. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, I don't know. I feel I feel like I feel like number one. Um, this is not the only show of this and. How many episodes of the X Files have we now watched, Joe? And we still don't know if it's good. I think I've watched. I think 60. I've watched seventy-six episodes of the X Files. I'll be around. And I 70 still do probably, not know yeah. if I really like it. So actually, <laughs> actually, twenty-eight episodes is is pretty reasonable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, two of those those episodes are pretty much identical because. And I mean, this is kind of going off off topic a little bit, but the the original pilot is basically reused in um, because they changed the cast, so it wasn't actually aired. They remade another pilot, but then they reused the original pilot in another yeah. episode of the they first used, season. So, like one of the episodes of, of the original series, first season, is basically just the original pilot replayed. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I effectively watched two two episodes twice as well. Um, it's it's always impressive to watch to watch you guys uh, just plod on regardless completionist. of completionist yeah it's a completionist yeah. what episode you know? of uh, what my, episode my, of hero my... season 2 are you on now sam oh i don't know my <laughs> my final thoughts of this of this show of this episode is actually i think this is this, this is this is well remembered and it's for a good reason i think this is one of the one of the better um episodes of star trek but i think for me it's about setting up what's to come and that's what I really liked about it is like it's so recognizable as being a Star Trek episode in a way that some of the other ones can kind of not really not really the same yeah. um mm-hmm. features and and this has it all it has the emotional has the has the science if not a bit iffy um and it ties it up <laughs> into a decent story so Kirk and Spock uncomfortable situation you know what more can you ask exactly. for exactly yeah exactly. an android that's what I want but We'll be there <laughs> with the next generation. So this has been fun. As usual, we uh, we will record another episode as and well we as as and when we damn well please. Um, but uh, to infinity and beyond, this isn't the right property. We'll see you next week. See you later. Thanks, mate.